Please keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to use as a text from that verse 21, for even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. If you've been here for the last 45 years, you may know that this is a text that we have turned to very often. It may be one that you have read very often just on your own. So, why? Because Jesus has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. And so, since none of us have arrived, we have not been able to check that one off and go on to something else. It's a good place for us to focus today as we approach the Lord's table. What an incredible calling to be called to walk in the steps of Jesus. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God to be upon us, that we would hear the word of the Lord, that we would heed it, we thank you for the transforming power of the Word of God by the Spirit of God. Accomplish all of your good purposes in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the steps of Jesus. So, the first thing we need to do then is pull together some verses that talk to us about Jesus. To behold some of his steps. And this is where, where we are given Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of course, many other places in the Bible will give us revelation on this theme. But as you look at Jesus, he was the perfect servant of his heavenly father. He came only to do and to say what his father told him to do and say. His fellowship with his father was 100% unhindered. There came a, an incredible break in that as he paid our sin debt. Jesus is called the man of sorrows in Isaiah. And yet we know he lived a life of great joy, uh, anointed with the oil of gladness above all others. This is an incredible reality. See, you say, well, you know, really, I wish I could have a life of great joy. Is anybody here that would not want joy in your life? I don't think so. You know, say, I, uh, I would love to have a life of great joy, and I could, and I would, were it not for. Now, who or what do you want to put in the blank? Somebody, somebody's, or something in your mind and mine is a hindrance to our joy, we think, we confess. What's in your blank? Who's in your blank? Circumstances and people in my world will have to change for me to be able to walk as Jesus walked and have joy. Is that true? Or is that one of the biggest lies that's ever been told? 
Circumstances and people in my world will have to change in order for me to walk in the steps of Jesus, in order for me to have, in order for me to have his joy. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? And there probably are some people in your world that need to change. I could be one of them. And there's the stuff. There's always stuff in a fallen world. But so we look at Jesus. He was born in a poor family. He grew up under the cloud of being an illegitimate. Though he went about doing good, he was considered by others to be mentally off. He's, he's not uh, sane. He's mentally imbalanced. He was forsaken and betrayed by his own friends. In his hours of greatest need, his disciples that he had poured his life into slept or fled. Or even worse, I don't know this man. And cursing while he made that statement. That was Peter, of course. Jesus labored tirelessly on behalf of others, bringing about healing, feeding them, preaching, teaching. But in the hour of his crucifixion, there was no one standing with him. The governing body of the Jews broke no less than 15 laws in their arrest and trial of Jesus. Pilate confesses, there's nothing wrong with this man. But he proceeded down that way because of political expediency. There was the mocking, the whips, the spitting, the open shame, the rough wooden cross on a bleeding back as he willingly made his way to Calvary. And on Calvary's mountain, he was nailed to the cross. It's not possible to do justice in presenting those awful themes. And I would say that men's efforts by means of the movie theater have done great injustice because they focus at the wrong thing. The Holy Spirit gives just the right amount of information about all the things that we've been looking at here. And the Holy Spirit will give us a great application of it all. Because the main message of the scriptures is not the physical suffering. The main message is that he took our sin debt. The father poured out his wrath on him. All All of this entire experience that Jesus went through comes to that focal point of him crying out, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? But suffice to say, no one has ever been mistreated so much as Jesus. No one has suffered so much injustice. And all of this should help us to cease and to cry out, Oh my, what the cost of sin is, the high cost of sin. 
He who never did sin. As we come to the Lord's table, let's let this sink freshly deep into our minds. He had no sin. He did no sin. Death had no claim on him. So why is he at the point of experiencing the wrath of God? He laid down his life for the likes of us. So no one has ever been more mistreated. And even before the shame and the spitting and the whips and the old rugged cross, Jesus, we're told in Scripture, was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This has been in the, econ- in the economy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity past. The cross was not an afterthought. It's the plan of God all along. Every step of his earthly life, he knew he was one step closer to Calvary. Certainly from the point in time of age 12, the man Christ Jesus, who never ceased to be God, who became a man, who was the God-man, started going about his father's business. And his father's business was to solve the greatest problem in all the earth, in all the universe. How can God, who is holy, receive and forgive a sinful man, a sinful woman? How can the sin debt be paid and it not be a compromise to holiness? How can the sin debt be paid and love be poured out and holiness and righteousness not be compromised? And the cross is the way. What an astounding wonder. And then in the garden, the intensity of the suffering. He bled before the whips ever hit him. Before the whips ever crossed his back. Before the... crown of thorns was ever pressed on his head. He sweat, as it were, drops of blood in Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And if you look at all of the scriptures in the Gospels from that moment on, not that there ever was in the life of Jesus a hesitancy a, there was never a, a uh, wrongful pleading. There was never an attempt to try to escape the Father's will because, again, the Gospel of John brings out that out over and over. He was, he was focused in on, I'm only doing, I'm only saying what the Father has for me. What an incredible wonder. But so, he was forsaken, he was betrayed, he was mocked, he was spit upon, he was beaten. But we say we cannot have joy. We cannot have a a peaceful life because of all of the stuff that's on our plate. And you can have some rough stuff on your plate. But you have nothing on your plate that keeps you from having the joy of the Lord. Jesus models the way that regardless of who's in your life, regardless of what people have done wrong to you, regardless of all the stuff in Christ, you can have the peace of God that passes, surpasses all understanding and the joy of the Lord. 
Look at Jesus. Gaze at him. Go back and reread the Gospels. There was no resentment, no bitterness, no self-pity. He was in no way emotionally destroyed. There is no evidence that he was mentally imbalanced. Instead, there was quiet suffering on behalf of others. There was meekness and gentleness and humility and acceptance. And there was prayer for the forgiveness of those who had betrayed him, who had tormented him. There was abiding trust in his father. There was submission to his father. His master's secret was he kept his focus on doing one thing, the father's will, and ministering to others. Even while on the cross, Look at Jesus, the man Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. He knew no sin. He had never sinned. And yet he was made sin for sinners. So much so that God the Father would have to turn his back and pour out his wrath. This is not a new story. We've heard it many times. But is it does it make any impact on us today? As we come to the Lord's table, will we allow this old, old story, the greatest of all stories, the greatest of all historical events, because we use the term story sometimes, no, it's not a fable. It's the greatest events in all of history. And again, the point of focus this morning is the reality that no one has ever suffered as Jesus suffered, no one has ever had such tough circumstances under which to live. And so Jesus is set before us all as an example of returning good for evil, of forgiving, of abiding trust, of submitting to his Father. Again, there was no pity party. There was no state of passivity that was on the cross while bearing the shame and the suffering, a continued focus on, Father, yes, forgive them. Yes, I will remember you. Take care of your mother. Focus on others. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The steps of Jesus model for us that we can face anyone or anything and everything triumphantly. This is not, you say, well, this is foreign to my experience. Well, don't let your experience judge what is truth. Listen to what Jesus says. He is not calling us to do something unreasonable. He says we are to walk in his steps. And so we're looking at his steps. They're quite miraculous, aren't they? Quite triumphant. And you say, but you're just forgetting one thing. This is all great for Jesus, and I'm glad he did it, but I'm not Jesus. I don't think there's any of us here who have any confusion about that. You know I'm not Jesus, and you know that you're not Jesus. And so are we just to write this off, that the Scripture is not practical? Or is there something about the Christian life that makes it unique on the face of the earth 
is supernatural. It's supernatural. The Holy Spirit writes to us believers the Word of God. And as we read that, we see the example that Jesus set. And we're told to walk in his steps. Well, this must be some very high level of Christian living. Do you know what we've been describing here so far as what is the will of God for us? This is the normal Christian life. Anything less than these steps is subnormal. To be a Christian is to have the life of God in your soul by the indwelling Holy Spirit empowering you, empowering me to walk in the steps of Jesus. And if you know anything about history, history is full of those who have done that. And in varying degrees, most of us, maybe all of us, hopefully all of us know someone who's walked that Calvary Road. You may, and I hope many of you, by the grace of God, can say, I have not arrived and I've got miles to go, but by the grace of God, there have been times when I was right in the steps of Jesus. And nobody else had to change. Nothing had to change. I was just clay in his hands. And those were the happiest times in my life, filled with joy, because I knew I was in favor with the Lord. We obviously need to beware of the opposite. There, there are many roads. There's a narrow way and there's a broad way. There is God's road. There is the steps of Jesus. And then there is, we just call it the world's road. It's very common. A multitude of voices beckon us. Live for yourself. I saw a post on Facebook this week where an individual just blurted that out. Live for yourself. That's the key to happiness. There are not many people who are bold enough to say that, but there are many people who are on that road. Seek pleasure, fame, fortune, food, porn. Live for yourself. Glory and honor for yourself. Blame others. Bitterness, anger. Refuse to forgive. Rebel. Be a victim. We're all on the road this morning. Am I walking in the steps of Jesus or am I on the broad road? In the hour of trouble and trial and testing, do I run to those who will encourage me to get in step with Jesus or to stay in step with Jesus? Or do I run to those that I'm hoping will excuse my flesh or maybe encourage me in it? So let's move now to some must, M-U-S-T, some must statements. I am a Christian. 
And I must walk in the steps of Jesus because the grace of God that creates Christians and makes them according to divine pattern, that pattern is Christ's likeness. And when he lives in me, it is that he might live through me the life of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I'll give them eternal life and they shall never perish. The mark of the Christian is that we are living a supernatural life, a life that otherwise we never would have lived, we're walking with Jesus. I must walk in the steps of Jesus because it's what God commands. That's what we have in our text here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. I must walk in the steps of Jesus lest my actions and reactions to circumstances and people cause me to grieve and to quench the Holy Spirit and rob me of amazing miracles. We need to leave this place this morning telling ourselves the truth. I never, underscore the word never, I never have a right to harbor or to express any spirit or action which is contrary to the spirit of Jesus. How many of us uh, would admit that spirits and attitudes and deeds contrary to Jesus is just on the tip of our tongue? So easy to do. So easy to excuse. So easy to find someone to agree with us. How about telling ourselves the truth? I never have a right to harbor or express any spirit or action which is contrary to the spirit of Jesus. How about putting it this way? Temptation has suddenly come across your plate and you tell yourself the truth. Jesus Christ has a right to express his life and his attitudes through me. End of story. Many years ago, there was a family sitting out on that side and a teenage girl left and she, on the way home, said, Mom, the pastor's up there preaching this morning as if Jesus Christ wants to have something to do with all of your life. She got it. She didn't like it. She had no intention of going that way, but at least she understood. This is true. Christianity is not just attending some services. It's not something to be on the corner of your life. He's not a genie in a box, so if you get in trouble, uh, you can call on him in a crisis and get you out. He paid your sin debt. He paid my sin debt. He took you out of the kingdom of darkness, placed you in the kingdom of God's Son. He lives within you by his Holy Spirit. Your body is now his holy temple. Glorify him. In your body and in your spirit, which are his. 1 Corinthians 6. I must walk in the steps of Jesus because I dare not walk in a place where I'm trying to take God's place. In Hebrews chapter, I'm excuse me, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19 through 21. This is where the rubber meets the road very often. People mess with us, at least in our minds. They cause us trouble and trial. And we're told 
overcome evil with good. Boy, that's just right down my alley. I got, when I was born, the first words out of my mouth was, Mom and Daddy, I'm here on planet Earth because I'm here on a mission to overcome evil with good. And you say, you're lying. You never said that. Even as an adult, I don't like that. There are times when I don't want to get just even. I want to do a little bit more than what was done to me. We may not rationally think it out and, and, and write out and, and say, I, I've proved that overcoming evil with evil is the way you go. Or at least to uh, affect or try to attack evil with evil. Seems natural to me. Oh, yeah, that, yeah that's right. Yes, it is natural. Not supernatural at all. But you read those passages there in Romans chapter 12. Do not overcome, don't, do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I must walk in the steps of Jesus, remembering that God has personally designed my Calvary road for his glory and my good. That's what's behind Romans 8, 28. God is at work to bring about good to those who love him, to those who are the called. Go to the Old Testament and you find the man Joseph was a free man. He was treated badly in a number of ways. But whether he was in prison or whether he was second in command over Egypt, he lived by a secret. From his position as second in command, when he was in position to get even with his bad brothers, he said, no, it's not you that sent me here. God sent me here. I must walk in the steps of Jesus lest I lose perspective. God sent me here to bring about good. You may be in some hard places with people and circumstances and whatever, but as a child of God, loved by God, and you love him because he loves you, God is up to doing good through you. You may not see it right now. I may not see it right now. But that's the word of God. It cannot be contradicted. The apostle Paul writing from prison. He said, you Philippians, I, I want you to understand something. Now, they were aware of all the many bad, difficult things that he, you know, in hunger and prison and so many different things. And he said, all the things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. So this is master passion. It's not what's happened to me. It's not what the person has said or done to me. It's what is God's purpose for me in that situation. And there may be a lot about it I don't understand, and he may never reveal it to me, or he may reveal it later, but I understand the most important thing right now. I don't even have to figure out how this is going to work. 
I just have to believe God. All the things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. That puts me on target to think rightly about it. So I can't badmouth you. I can't talk about how bad you're causing me to feel or how bad you're hurting me. Because that's not on my plate. I may be hurting. But the purpose that God has for me there is to further the gospel. You'll remember that from the little book, Faithful Unto Death, story of 15 or 16 teenagers who became martyrs for Christ during the early years of the Reformation among the Anabaptists, 14-year-old, came to Christ. And by 17, he was such a strong witness for Christ that Roman Catholics thought if they could get him to break and get him to return to Catholicism, they'd win a great victory because Cornelius was a strong witness for Christ. And so they surround the room with their robe-dressed people and they start pumping him with all these questions and making them making him many offers and he says I, I don't need any of that I've got Jesus just paraphrase him that's the essence of it you, you, you can't offer me anything that's better than what I have I, I have Jesus and it's a great honor to serve him and so from 17 to 21 they tortured him and history records that there were times when the jailers would wait outside the door of his cell only to hear him praying for them. They hung him by one hand, extended with weights on his feet. This is just a few of the tortures. And yet, by the grace of God, he, like many who have gone before us, like those in various places in the world today, are still saying that Jesus is not only worth living for, he's worth dying for if that's what God puts on my plate. Because I'm here for one master purpose. God has me here as a Christian for the furtherance of the gospel. You say, well, further the gospel, that means that I'm going to pass out a tract and the person's going to say, oh, yes, I've been waiting for you to come. Yes, I'll receive Jesus right now. Praise the Lord. I furthered the gospel this week. Hallelujah. Well, if that happens, hallelujah. It sometimes happens. 500-pound Faye Montgomery shared a tract with him many years ago right on the spot. I want to receive Christ. You want to tell anybody about this? Yes. He goes in and tells his folks. He had previously turned down an, an invitation to come to church. Well, what about church? Well, now it doesn't matter that he has to shave. It doesn't matter that he says he doesn't have clothes. Yes, I'll be there. They're not all like that. There are many people who will be in heaven and... Christians will find, out, find that out for the first time because all you know is that you laid down your life. Cornelius Artez Demand that I spoke of earlier, what was the first witness in his life? A believer in Christ being burned at the stake 
and he's a 14-year-old, and he watches that, and he hears this man praying for his tormentors. And so he went and sought out to find where believers were meeting and sat under the study of the Bible and was converted. And by, again, by age 17, was just on fire for the Lord. I don't know, well, in fact, I do know, taking history as it is, that that man who was the, being burned at the stake had no idea how that God was going to further the gospel in a mighty way through his honoring Jesus with his last breath. Now, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. It just has to be, it may be something like this. You receive an invitation to sin. And you say, no disrespect to you. I'm not interested in telling you what to do, but I've, by the grace of God, given my life to Jesus Christ, and, and I don't need that. I don't need those drugs. I don't need the porn. I don't need to cheat on my wife or my husband. I don't need to fornicate. I don't need to steal the money. Whatever. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. He saved me from my sins. I, I'm, I'm, I have joy and happiness in him. And, and there's nothing that you're offering me that could be anywhere as good as what I have. But more important than the benefit that I'm getting, I want to honor Jesus. Jesus doesn't want me to do that. Jesus doesn't want me to go there. He do, you may just be there by yourself and you've got the cell phone in your hand and, and it pops up or you're working on your computer doing work you're supposed to do and all this stuff pops up and the temptation is there and you say, no, I've given my life to Jesus. I don't need that. I have fulfillment in him. All the things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. I must walk in the steps of Jesus. This is amazing. Did you know that love is better than hate? Forgiveness is better than bitterness. Trust in God is better than leaning to my own understanding. Submission and obedience to God is better than rebellion. Joy is better than misery. Beware of listening to the voices of the world. Beware of confessing to yourself, I'm stressed, I'm unhappy, I'm hurt, I'm, I'm misunderstood, I'm under extreme pressure, they are to blame. Or I just blew up, I lost my head, I broke down, he got under my skin. We have a lot of interesting terminology to use to excuse sin. Just imagine that. Well, I just blew up. That's not hard to imagine. And you're still here? You mean you just blew up? And you still... No, this is just, that's just terminology to give an excuse for my behavior. And I'm not responsible. I lost my head. I broke down. He got under my skin. Those are not freedom confessions, my friend. You want a freedom confession? I was wrong. 
Will you please forgive me? Cleanse me, God. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. But there's a problem, and Jesus identifies it. Why, why, do, we, why do we not want to go down this right road? This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Unfortunately, that teenager that sat over there many years ago and was upset because the word of God was applying to all of the issues of life, including the fact that as a teenage girl she shouldn't dress like a harlot, we didn't define details. We just said, radiate Jesus. Don't dress like a harlot. When men are taking up the offering, they shouldn't have to be on guard about seeing the underpants of any female. Culture is so foreign to the scripture. There are all kinds of things like this. And so... You start applying the word of God and just say, modesty, radiate Jesus. She didn't come back. And unless she has had a turn in recent times, she has gone wholeheartedly in the way of the world. Why do people do that? Because we love our evil. We love our, we, we want to be accepted by the crowd that loves evil. But he that does the truth, this is in John 3, verse 19 through 21. He that, come, he that does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been wrought in God. And when we come to the light and the Holy Spirit shows us that some of our deeds have not been wrought in God. Oh, Lord God, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. For a fresh start of walking with Jesus in his steps, all we have to do is deal with ourselves. Nothing else has to change. No one else has to change. We just come to Jesus. By your grace, Lord Jesus, I'm coming. First of all, I'm coming as one by the grace of God, already redeemed by your precious blood. I'm coming to experience the forgiveness that is already my birthright. I've got sin in my life this morning that has broken my fellowship with you, but not my relationship with you. And so I humbly come and I repent. For as I walk in the light, as he is in the light, I have fellowship one with another and fellowship with the Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing from all sin. Or you could be here this morning, you're not yet a child of God. But the Holy Spirit has made you aware of your sin this morning. May you cry out with the tax collector of old, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Christian, keep on praying. Keep on confessing. Keep on repenting. Keep on yielding to the Holy Spirit's revelations. Revelations to how that sin got a stronghold. 
Revelation as to what appearances of evil I need to avoid because I don't want to lead someone else astray. Revelation to that secret leaven in my heart that's opening the door to sin's temptation. It's a wonderful day when we confess our own sins and not the sins of others. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Cleanse me, O God. Empower me, Holy Spirit. There's no other way to be clean. There's no other way to be restored. Jesus walked the Calvary Road, denying himself, doing all of his Father's bidding, on the way to Calvary, where he would lay down his life for you and I. And we celebrate that at his table today. You and I must start at Calvary. A place where we face our sins and we repent of our sins and we receive the Lord Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is working in our heart, revealing our sin, our need for the Savior, the reality of the Savior, quickening us with divine life, and we find ourselves repenting and believing. We're going to sing hymn number 496. It's to a tune that you're familiar with. Go ahead and be turning to it. We'll use this as a time to prepare us for coming to the Lord's table. As we often like to say, it is the Lord's table. It's not a Baptist table. If you're here this morning and by the grace and mercy of God... You are in Christ, and you're not holding on to some sin. If you're, if you're holding on to some sin, don't, don't treat this table lightly. This is not a table to earn. It's a table of grace, but it's, neither is it a table of license, where it's just a routine we go through and the sins that I'm holding on to don't matter. It's a time right now before you come to the table to deal with it. And if you're here and you've never come to faith in Christ, what an opportunity to cry out, oh Lord God, I'm a sinner. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Lord Jesus, going forth, I want to walk in your steps like I've never walked before, with no hesitancy, no compromise. There's no other path for me, but by the grace of God, I want to walk in the steps of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and your love to us, and for what you're saying to us through your word today. What a high and holy privilege. What an amazing wonder to be born again by the Spirit of God and to have heart desire to follow Jesus and to be resting in the all-sufficiency of the cleansing blood of Christ, to be enjoying increasingly walking in the spirit and by the spirit and not grieving the spirit and not quenching the spirit but being filled with the spirit.
have your own way in each of our hearts. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.